Hello everyone, welcome back to the VJ He Monk podcasts. For today's episode, we are thrilled to be joined by three globally renowned myeloma experts to discuss the treatment of elderly myeloma following the recent Comey 2021 virtual congress. Stay tuned to hear from Mohamed Moti, Thierry Facon and Alessandra LaRocca discussing how elderly myeloma treatment has evolved to where we are today, the challenges associated with the extremes of the frailty spectrum and an insightful look towards the future. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this uh, special broadcast of VJ Himonk. Uh, I'm Mohamed Moti from the Sorbonne University and St. Antoine Hospital uh, in Paris, in France. And it is uh, a great pleasure to be joined today by two distinguished faculty, uh, Dr. Alessandra Larocca from a consultant hematologist at the University of Torino in Italy and uh, Professor Thierry Facon from the University Hospital of Lille in Lille in France. Thank you for joining us. This is a very uh, special uh, activity uh, dedicated to the post-COMI uh, 7th Congress. As you all probably know, we have just uh, finished the 7th uh, uh, International Congress on Controversies in Multiple Myeloma, the famous COMI. And this has been really uh, an amazing uh, uh, program where we went through all the advances in the field of multiple myeloma. And uh, it has been really a fabulous uh, Congress and uh, many cutting edge data and results were presented. However, for the purpose of this special activity, we thought to uh, have a focus actually on the uh, diagnosis and management of the elderly uh, multiple myeloma patient, the so-called non-transplant eligible uh, patient. And why is this? Because I think, and we have seen this uh, during the uh, Congress, the Comey Congress, this is the population where we have seen recently a tremendous advance in terms of survival, and the bar now is extremely very high. So this is really good news, and we are always pleased to have such good news. But I think we will have to continue to improve, and this is exactly the spirit of this discussion we'll have together with Alessandra and Thierry, about the past, the present, but also the future of elderly multiple myeloma. So thank you for joining us. And I'll start first with Thierry, uh, because you've been following this uh, elderly myeloma uh, treatment story since the beginning and since the early days of MP. Uh, I'd like to hear from you, you know, malfalent prednison. I'd like to hear from you, Thierry, this uh, success story since the mid-years 2000, you know, since the publication in The Lancet in 2007 showing that MPT for the first time proved to be superior to MP. Can you tell us the story? I think many people would love to hear it. Uh, okay. I, I, I was not at the very, very beginning, you know, because MP was established 1969, something like that. <laughs> but at least okay. But but you are you, you, you were you were a young gentleman. I, I, I was quite young at that time. But you are correct. In in fact, um, 
for example, the, we, in the IFM, we did one study uh, which was called IFM 9501, published in blood in 2006. And still at that time, the, the control arm was methylamprednisone, which is a way to say that the, it has been a standard of care for too many years, I would say. Uh, Maloma treatment in the elderly has been very disappointing for, for many years. Uh, at that time, we say the median survival with MP was three years, but to be honest, I am not totally sure about that because when you when you look at the way to assess response, even at the way to uh, studies, well, usually not very big studies, etc. So, uh, uh, so what we are what we are saying today about frail patients versus non-frail, I'm not sure the frail patients were extremely represented in these studies, for example. So you could you could say probably at that time the median survival for the elderly was uh, two to three years, something like that. Then we got thalidomide. So, uh, and if you remember, we got thalidomide uh, December 1998 at Hash by Bart and, um, and interestingly, the story of thalidomide is also the story of Torino because the Antonio Palumbo published in 2006 uh, uh, an MPT study in the Lancet as well. Uh, we did uh, we did a study as well uh, doing MP versus MP thalidomide and. Uh, and uh, uh, not exactly, but almost at the same time, bortezomib uh, uh, also uh, was part of uh, a very large MP versus bortezomib MP study, so the VISTA study. So, so we established uh, uh, we have established MP thalidomide, and bortezomib MP has uh, as new standard of care. Then we got, uh, as you say, we got lenalidomide. And uh, lenalidomide has been investigated in uh, in several studies. Some studies in the in the U.S. ECOG did one study. Uh, we we did the first study. The first study was the at that time the largest registration phase three international study for uh, the approval of lenalidomide on DEX and the control arm was MP thalidomide at that time. So we 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 made uh, lenalidomide on DEX approved. Uh, with many other colleagues around the world, and um, and you know, with with basically, uh, interestingly, with MPT, your median survival is approximately four years. With lenalidomide on DEX, your median survival is approximately five years. And and then we got, let's say, I, I tried to make it short. You know, we 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 got CD38 antibodies, especially daratumumab, and uh, and we combined uh, this the daratumumab with both the VMP and, and lenalidomide on DEX and. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the DARA VMP study uh, was called the Alcyon study. And, uh, and the other, uh, the DARA lenalidomide on DEX was called the Maya study. And so the, the, the addition of daratumumab did a very great job. And so very, very significantly improved uh, PFS on uh, at least what we know today uh, for survival from the Alcyon study. So that was a very, uh, very great improvement in in uh, in clinical outcome for for the older patients, and for example, the if you look at uh, daratumumab lenalidomide on DEX, median PFS will be five years, and and we do not know, of course, for uh, for median survival, but uh, the expectation would be to see median survival six to seven years, something like that probably maybe 6.5 to seven years. Uh, 
also keeping in mind that these patients have a, some of these patients uh, are really frail patients. So that's the, from MP to let's say daratumab, lenalidomide, and DEX, the, the median survival has switched from uh, two to three years to probably close to seven years. And uh, and what what we are saying today is that some uh, some elderly patients will will possibly not die of myeloma; they will die of something else. Because if you are diagnosed with myeloma at the age of eighty, and you get, for example, uh, this kind of daratumab regimen, you may, if you can enjoy median survival seven years, you know, you 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 have a you would have a possibility to die from from something else. And and then the next step will be this is an ongoing story, and the next step will be the combination of. Uh, of a PI, so basically, uh, let's say, bortezomib, lenalidomide, daratumumab, or, or isatuximab, for, uh, not for all elderly patients, but for, let's say, the fit elderly, because uh, these four drug combination regimens is likely too much for frail or very frail patients. And so the, so the, the, the last, uh, so the, okay, this is basically what we did in the, in the last uh, uh, 20 but, years, something like that. This is really a fabulous story. Over 20 years, how by generating very strong, uh, nice evidence-based data, you can transform the natural history of a disease. MP, you add thalidomide, you show superiority. You compare it to Lendex, you show superiority. You add an anti-CD38, namely daratumumab, you show superiority. This is really amazing. But I think, and this is a good lesson for all of us in the field, and especially to our younger colleagues, that proof is really stronger than arguments. And whenever possible, we should really pay attention and try to build step by step to improve the outcome of these diseases. But I think you highlighted, you alluded to something a very important theory, I think, that in the older era, in the 90s, early 2000s, when we spoke about elderly patients, actually, it's probably not the same group of elderly patients we uh, consider today. And I remember from my training, it would have been totally unusual to treat an 85-year-old uh, myeloma patient. So the notion of elderly was around 65, 70 maybe. So Alessandra, you have done a lot of work, I think, on trying to categorize and to refine, to dissect uh, this mixed bag, I would say, of elderly myeloma. So uh, how did you do this work and where do we stand today when it comes to defining the different so-called elderly myeloma patient? Thank you, Mohamed, for uh, the question. Uh, yes, elderly population is extremely heterogeneous uh, because uh, among patients who are not candidate, uh, not eligible for autologous stem cell transplantation, there is a large uh, variety of uh, comorbidities uh, of uh, dependence or independence uh, status, uh, functional abilities, disabilities. And these characteristics uh, are uh, essential to define uh, the fitness uh, or the frailty of patients. Uh, we did uh, a, a lot of efforts, the myeloma community, to define uh, the uh, status, uh, these uh, functional status and comorbidities of patients. Uh, 
and to define and categorize uh, patients who are fit and uh, who are able to tolerate uh, full dose uh, treatments, patients who are frail, uh, so are uh, dependent on other people, they have some uh, disabilities, and so they can uh, tolerate a full dose regimen, but they need uh, to um, adjust uh, treatment and adjustment of treatment with a, a careful balance of toxicity and uh, effectiveness of treatment. In between, there is probably an intermediate group of patients who need a balance of efficacy and safety, but probably can tolerate uh, uh, treatment much more better as compared than uh, frailty patient. And different group, uh, Italian group, uh, but also colleagues from uh, other countries, uh, uh, Professor Zwigman, for example, Professor Engelhardt from German, Professor Cook, and so on, um, work hardly in the definition of frailty and in the instruments that can be useful to define frailty. And uh, recently, in the last year, the International Meloma Working Group proposed a frailty score that combined the evaluation of age, but also comorbidities and functional abilities through a simplified geriatric assessment to identify patients who can be defined fit, unfit, and frail, and that have different outcomes, different tolerance, tolerance to uh, treatment and uh, adverse events and so on. And uh, now that uh, we have this uh, important uh, new treatment, uh, I think that uh, we have to uh, optimize uh, this uh, effective treatment according to the characteristics of the patients to have a very good or good disease control, but also to take into account the quality of life of the patient. So we have to, uh, to give effective treatment, but preserving also not only the quantity of life, but also the quality of life. And this is particularly important for frail patients. So uh, what I understand from you, Alessandra, and this is really uh, very uh, well nicely described, is that assessment of frailty, but also geriatric assessment and the use of some of these daily activities, the scoring systems are crucial uh, to refine the uh, categorization of these patients. However, when I talk you know, discuss with some colleagues, some of them are really uh, afraid uh, about the time-consuming process. You know, these days we have more and more patients, less and less time. Uh, can you, how can we reassure our colleagues? And the question is uh, to both of you because you see these elderly patients. Uh, how can we reassure that, uh, first of all, this is not as heavy and long or difficult as one would expect or might expect, but also how uh, smart uh, assessment can take you a long way because this will help uh, to improve the outcome of the patient. Who wants to start, Thierry? 
Uh, no, your your point is well taken. You know, they are. I, what is interesting with a frailty assessment is that the the more you you work on this, the more you have to, and it's a it's a it's a very uh, it's a very interesting and very important uh, topic. And uh, I, I am not totally sure we we have uh, we we have reached the the best possible. I I don't know uh, what I, for example what I. Some time ago, has been published in uh, in Blood a paper by colleagues from uh, Boston, so geriatric colleagues from Boston from Harvard University, and they they looked at uh, gate speed, and uh, and I am not saying gate speed is best, and I, but but you know you you can you, you can handle this in different ways. You could say, okay, if I put uh, comorbidities, uh, so what you have, age, comorbidities, gate speed, uh, if you if you take the best possible questionnaire, not too much. So we, okay, what uh, what will be the conclusion? And so uh, I I still we I think we still have to work on this, but it's it's definitely uh, something uh, extremely important and. Uh, and another way to just to illustrate that it is important is that we have today studies for frail patients and studies for fit patients, and you will find more. And uh, when we analyze the uh, recent studies, in fact, you will always find a kind of frailty analysis. And uh, so the, the first study, the Alcyon study, the Maya studies, they have uh, led to uh, some kind of frailty analysis. And, uh, and also when you look at uh, uh, our um, colleagues from EMA or FDA, they, have, uh, they do not know exactly how to handle this, but they, they perfectly know that the, the frail patients are underrepresented in clinical studies and they know that it, is a, it, is a very, it has value and it is something we have to work on. Okay, thank you, Thierry. Very clear. So, Alessandra, I, I know uh, you are in the middle of a busy clinic. Uh, so, how do you do uh, in your uh, daily practice to assess these patients? Can you give us a sort of a flavor? How? What is your pragmatic approach? So when I visit the patient for the first time, I try to know him about collecting more information about his history, his medical history, and so also some social aspects because sometimes patients have a severe pain, and but the day before the uh, onset of the myeloma, it was fit and well, for example. And so I try to have a view also of the patient before the diagnosis of multiple myeloma. And when I collect this information, I try to do my geriatric assessment. So uh, collecting information about the comorbidities, uh, there is uh, functional basic abilities or more complex uh, abilities. And so when I talk with the patients and try to put into the uh, computer this information to have this geriatric evaluation. And so I think that uh, collecting information and doing a geriatric, brief geriatric evaluation, of course, is uh, uh, quite easy because uh, um, the information that we can capture from uh, this uh, evaluation 
are very important uh, for me to understand which type of treatment uh, is able, will be able the patients to tolerate. And so I, I prefer this evaluation to the cutoff age, for example, 75, 80, because um, I think that uh, this is not enough. And also to my judgment, my, my view, my, the, 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 the view of the doctor, uh, of the patients. Uh, I, I prefer to have something that uh, is uh, more precise. Excellent. Okay, so let's now consider what I personally would also consider as difficult scenarios which are the two extremes. The elderly and very fit patient where you would hesitate with a so-called elderly treatment or maybe something similar to what you would give a young patient. But the other extreme is the very uh, frail elderly patient where you would even hesitate maybe to give a sort of a, a standard of care in the elderly. So first question to Thierry, how do you handle today the elderly but fit, even very fit patient? And I think uh, one part of the question is about transplant, uh, performing transplant in this population. Where, where do we stand today? You know, okay, it's not an easy question because you have to, or you have also to stick to what has been approved in a certain extent. So, the, but it's true to say that this patient will be treated more or less like uh, uh, younger patients today. But when you, and so you could you could say that in the in the in the next few years they will be able to receive. Uh, the combination of a CD38, bortezomib, uh, and alidomide on deck. So this kind of uh, DVRD platform or is a tuximab VRD. And the studies we have, uh, the ongoing studies we have for elderly fit patients, they have basically uh, either ixazomib VRD or daratumab VRD. And some academic studies in Spain, for example, for elderly fit, they have KRD even in combination with daratumab as well. So then you, you, the, other, the other aspect I, of the question... I, I think, yeah. Thierry, you meant it's a tuximab VRD. It is a tuximab, yeah. yeah, yeah sorry. The, the, so then the, the other part of the question is, the, is transplant versus no transplant. And, and that's, a, that's not an easy question. We have to say that transplant remains a standard of care as of today. But on the other hand, if you look at uh, elderly patients... And if you go back to the what what you can achieve with regimens such as DRD, uh, what will be exactly the added value of Malfalan 200? And would you like to take the risk of Malfalan 200, even if this risk is limited to for patients over between the age of 70 and 75? So that's a difficult question. I think basically these new regimens, they will provide some pushback for transplant in the elderly because... Uh, uh, both patients and, and sometimes physicians will possibly not proceed to transplant because they re they will rely on on daratumab regimens or something like that. I, yeah, I I, I, I think uh, uh, you, you you're definitely right because the results of the new regimens are so high in terms of PFS. On the other hand, you could you could say that if you had if you had Melflan two hundred to to 
to DRD, you 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 may do a better job as well. So it's not so that's say it's not an easy question. But uh, in the real life, I I do believe you, we will see uh, probably less transplant in elderly patients in the next five years as compared to what we did before. Okay, so Alessandra, now the question is about uh, what we heard from Thierry, and I think everybody's convinced Dara RD or to a lesser extent Dara VMP. Daratumumab, lenalidomide, dexamethasone, daratumumab, bortezomib, melphalan, prednisone are the recommended regimens by EHA, ESMO, and they are approved. But assuming now you're handling the 87-year-old, very frail patient, uh, what would be your favorite or whatever, uh, you know, uh, appropriate regimen in this patient who has diabetes, who may have maybe cognitive problems, hypertension. I, I think you would guess the kind of patient uh, because age comes always with many comorbidities, unfortunately. So I think that now that we have these uh, daratumumab-based uh, induction treatments, uh, they are very well tolerated, uh, particularly daratumumab combined with the oral lenalidomide and dexamethasone. So I think that uh, uh, now uh, it's very difficult to differentiate treatment in fit, intermediate, uh, unfit, or frail patients. But we can do probably some adjustment for these particularly frail patients. We can adjust those and the duration of treatment with dexamethasone, for example. Since an Italian study, for example, without daratumumab, evaluated RD followed by lenalidomide maintenance after nine cycles compared with uh, RD continuously and uh, the absence uh, in the experimental arm of dexamethasone did not uh, impact uh, significantly progression-free survival and overall survival. So probably we can spare steroid in after the first uh, year of treatment. And this can possibly be applied also to the daratumumab RD treatment. However, there are study ongoing who are evaluating also daratumumab lenalidomide sparing steroid. So probably we will have this data. We can adjust also the dose of lenalidomide to the clearance creatinine of patients that is decreasing with the aging of these patients. So I think that we can adjust the treatment. In some special cases in which frailty is very, very present, is we have an extreme frail patients, I think that we can also consider only to give the doublet lenalidomide dexamethasone that is, of course, an effective treatment, well tolerated, oral, so without access, uh, with limited access to the hospital. And I think that in some limited case, uh, uh, RD, the doublet, uh, may be an option. No, thank you very much, Alessandra, for raising this issue, because when we think about improvement, we always think about novel drugs, novel regimens, but I think you're bringing a major point where sometimes in a very non-expensive way, you can also improve the outcome, skipping steroids, decreasing the dosage, maybe giving more time between cycles, 
All of these small tricks can be very helpful. Okay, in the last five minutes of uh, this uh, uh, fantastic discussion, uh, my friends, I'd like uh, uh, to think about the future. And we heard during Comey a lot about bispecific uh, CAR T cells, many uh, novel small molecules. Obviously, all of them are being currently tested in the relapse refractory setting. But how do you see the future uh, for the elderly patient, especially in terms of frontline therapy? Can we integrate at some point these advances to further improve the outcome, but also maybe uh, achieve clearly operational cure in the majority of these elderly myeloma patients? Thierry, what are your thoughts? of course, we have a very we have a lot of interest in uh, in bispecific antibodies and CAR T strategies. So the the question of CAR T in the elderly is, uh, is is not an easy question. If you look at numbers of patients having received CAR T for over the age of seventy, you will not find a lot of patients. In fact, and if you look at if if you would like to say, okay, how many patients over the age of 75 did receive CAR T? Of course, you will have one colleague in the US. He will say, okay, I treated a 78-year-old patient, but that's one, or you know, and it's it's very. The discussion uh, raised by the points raised by Alessandra was that you know you have one third of patients over the age of seventy-five. You have a lot of frail patients. So, so I do not see uh, a large use of CAR-T strategies in elderly at the end of the day. And uh, if you say something very simple, you could, okay, that could be stupid. But if you say the CAR-T strategies will be mostly for the younger patients and the bispecific could be in a certain extent for the elderly you are probably, we will see in the next five to 10 years, but that, that, that could be something like this. By specific antibodies are, are of course, very, very interesting drugs. So if you, if you look at the, the studies we have today, you can, uh, you can achieve response in, uh, let's say, six, Ken Anderson said yesterday, 60 to 80% of patients. And so that's a lot of patients. If you, if you want to use a, uh, bortezomib, lanalidomide, or even daratumab as a single agent, you will not get 60 to 80% response rate. So they have a, uh, okay, they, they can do a very effective job in, in treating all patients. Then the, 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 the point I would like to highlight is that you, it's probably different to develop a bispecific antibody versus a, 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 a NIMID or a PI, and you need to be cautious. For example, when you want to when you want to deal with the frail patients, uh, okay, we still have to do some work to to be able to manage by specific antibodies in the elderly, frail, and very frail. I would say because so usually people say, okay, you you uh, these drugs will only provide CRS grade one and two and not so many infections, but CRS grade two at the age of eighty is is very is 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 terrible. <laughs> So you, you, you need to uh, a kind of fine tuning. You need a good development plan to be able to adapt these bispecific antibodies to the, to the elderly and somewhat frail patient. That said, you know, you could, you could play the game in replacing either LEN or replacing either the CD38 or whatever uh, 
for example, you, you could say, okay, I, I don't know if you will agree with me, but when you combine bortezomib and alidomide on daratumumab, the weak part, this is not very weak, to be, but the weak part is the bortezomib at the end. So you could say if you, even if for elderly fit, if you do a bispecific in combination with DRD, what will be the outcome? And the outcome could be could be great. If you want to play with more more, okay, the patient with some degree of frailty, you could say the combination of a bispecific and a CD38 will will do will do a great job. We don't know, but we we may have to investigate this, or we may have to investigate the lenalidomide in combination with a bispecific antibodies. But I think all these studies will have to be done, and uh, and we will see. But I. I, I am quite convinced that um, at least some of these bispecific antibodies will, will move up to first line. And I do believe that in some years that will be used to treat uh, at least some elderly patients with myeloma. But also we can figure out maybe cell modes, iberdomide replacing. And tomorrow we have maybe a third generation protosum inhibitor of and course. so on. This is, this is really amazing. So Alessandra, if you have to design your uh, ideal or favorite futuristic protocol, what would be your combination? And assuming I'm making all, everything available for you to design your protocol. Yeah, I agree with Professor Facon that uh, now the job is very hard after daratumumab-based treatment or anti-CD48 monoclonal antibody. Uh, it's very hard to have something that is uh, more effective, uh, uh, less toxic, uh, and uh, more powerful. And uh, so but, but we agree. Let, let, let me remind you one thing, both of you, because I have a good memory. And I remember in 2008 when the VISTA trial was published by the New England Journal, by Jesus San Miguel and the New England Journal of Medicine, I heard a lot these statements saying it will be hard to do to better. have something <laughs> because obviously, uh, obviously our statements are mainly based on our control. And uh, tomorrow when your Dara RD will become like the basic and you see the results every day, you would say, I want to do better. So sorry, I'll, I'll close my uh, I agree with you. And I, I'm, I'm, I will try to be much more optimistic. So I, I'm, uh, I encourage, of course, that uh, uh, new treatments and new drugs will be available. For now, immunotherapy is uh, the best uh, option that we have. Uh, CAR-T, I agree that uh, is uh, at the moment, uh, uh, since we will not have a, a, an adjustment, a, a way to optimize uh, and make them easy for everyone is uh, uh, much more indicated for uh, fit and young patients. And uh, I have uh, the hope that uh, this specific therapy will be feasible for everyone. And uh, I agree with the suggestion of possible uh, improvement uh, uh, with combination with uh, these uh, older regimens, these old drugs, uh, lenalidomide uh, and so on, to further improve the efficacy, but uh, I don't have um, new and in innovative ideas after <laughs> Professor Facon. Okay, well, thank you very much. And actually, may I suggest that 
hopefully we'll be able to do the same uh, discussion in four or five years yeah. to see yeah. how they feel. We'll because, see. Absolutely, because <laughs> I think it's very important to remember the history, the chronology, and this is so exciting. And uh, every day, uh, I, I think all of us will feel blessed and privileged to be in a such uh, dynamic uh, field. So again, thank you very much for this lovely uh, discussion. I hope everybody has enjoyed it and hope to see you all very soon in great shape. And please uh, stay safe and keep well. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye, Thierry. Bye, Mohamed. That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at VJHumong and let us know your thoughts on today's topics. If you want to hear more from our experts on the latest news in the myeloma field, head to VJHumong.com for lots more exclusive content. Be sure to subscribe to VJHumong podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.